Amen. Okay, praise the Lord. All right, uh, just as a form of introduction, if you've been with us for some time, you know that we've been studying the book of Acts of the Apostles. And it's been, it's been a very long journey. And I don't even know when we are going to end. Uh, because even, even today, we're just rounding up chapter 12 and moving a little bit into chapter 13 of the book of Acts. So, uh, one thing I know is that by the time we are done, we will have a new president in Nigeria. All right, praise God. So, today we'll be um, studying Acts 12, 20 to 25, and 13, chapter 13, 1 to 3. So, if you wouldn't mind, you can join me, and we would read all of this together. Acts 12, 20 to 25, then te- uh, chapter 13, 1 to 3. Acts 12, 20 to 25, and 13, 1 to 3. We can read it together, the NLT version. It should be on the screen. Yes, it's on the screen now, so let's read it together. One, two, go. Now, Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. So they sent a delegation to make peace with him because of their cities, because their cities were dependent upon Herod's country for food. (coughs) Sorry. The delegates won the support of Blastos, Herod's personal assistant, and an appointment with Herod was granted. When the day arrived, Herod put on his royal robes, sat on his throne, and made a speech to them. The people gave him a great ovation, shouting, It's the voice of a God, not of a man. Instantly, an angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving glory to God. So he was consumed with worms. And died. Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread, and, and there were many new believers. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem, they returned, taking John Mark with them. Chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 1, 1 to 3. It says, Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manahin, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. Praise God. All right, so we go straight into uh, the teaching for today, or or the study, rather, study for today. So we start out in verse 20, and it says, Now, Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And 
I looked at this and I went back into what we studied last week and what we studied the week before and I could not correlate or I could not identify there. What was it that got Herod Agrippa? Uh, I'll be sorry, what's his name? Yeah, Herod, this Herod Agrippa. What was it that got him so angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon? There's actually, up until now, there was no mention in this uh, series of uh, passages about Tyre and Sidon. So what was it that got him upset? And I said, I, I thought about it and thought about it, and I said, it must have been something so inconsequential for the Bible to have ignored it. But the fact was that he was really angry and upset so much that two major cities, he decided to cut off their food supply, that they had to come and beg him. Why? Why? Thinking further, the only thing that I think would probably have got him really so angry and upset was probably because at that period, the gospel was spreading and he didn't have so much control over it. Because this same error was the one that threw, that, that made a call and sentenced uh, James to, de to death, killed James. It was the same error that took Peter and sent him to prison, thinking that, that he, he, he would probably be able to cut short uh, the gospel, the spread of the gospel. But obviously, you must have seen that all of these activities, all of these things he was doing was fruitless. He wasn't achieving the results he wanted to achieve. And he began to get upset. You know, at times, we get annoyed with people around us. We get annoyed with the things that are around us because the people that we are getting annoyed to maybe have some things that we want, but we don't have it. And instead of us being humble or gentle and kind, and simply ask and see if they can share with you, rather, we want to use the boju to bully them. Because that's probably what he was doing here. And, and I see that happening a lot. You know, when... Um, I'm mean, talking about fighting the gospel, which it seems he was fighting here. There was a story, I guess, of someone I came across online. The story is of one philosopher that lived in the 16th century. He was born in 1694, and uh, he lived up to 83 years. Uh, historians have it that he was a poet. He used to write poems. He used to write uh, drama scripts. Uh, he, he wrote some books and on and on like that as a philosopher. But primary ambition that he had in life was to attack Christians, was to attack the Bible, was to attack the doctrines. And this man's name was, is called Voltaire. If you Google him, it's all over the internet. They call him the, the French poet, Voltaire. That's the name, V-O-L-T-A-I-R-E. You know, and... Like I said, his ambition, his, his also purpose in life was to attack Christianity, to attack the Bible. He, he wrote so many poems, you know, talking about the fact that whoever wrote the Bible must have been so foolish. And whoever it is that even believes the Bible or reads the Bible must even be foolisher. If there's a word like that. You know, he wrote all sorts of stuff. But it's just so amazing and so coincidental that 
He said to him, when he was dying, he died at 83, about a year before he died. He made a public proclamation. He held the Bible and said, within 100 years of my death, this book, the Bible, is going to be something that will only be found in museums. That people will go and come to walk into the museum and say, oh, that thing that they used to call the Bible, that is it. And it's just going to be like an antique. That was what he prophesied one year before he died. He said 100 years after he's gone that that's what's going to happen to the Bible. As if he knows more than God. But as God will turn everything around, 100 years after he died, the house he died in, his own house that he lived in when he was alive, was now used to store and distribute Bibles across the whole of Europe. By the, uh, I think, Geneva, Geneva Bible Society. The house where he was living. You know, it's, it's so amazing. You know, we, we rise up at times and say, we're going to fight this person. We're going to fight this concept or we're going to fight this principle. It's usually because there's something they have we are trying to get that we have not been able to get. And we, or maybe we don't understand it. But instead of us embracing and understanding it, we fight it. You know, if you want to read up more about this guy, I, I put up a link. I don't know if they're going to show up the link. But, but it, it just tells you about why it is not necessary to fight. So, Herod was very angry. Was very angry. Like I said earlier, there was no specific identification of why he was angry. But it must have been very tiny compared to the level of is anger. So today I'm asking, again, why do people get angry like that? Why do people get angry like that? I, I mean, in the course of my uh, professional career, before I became an entrepreneur, there was a time I was working for an organization. And the, the role that I occupied at that time was a role that I, I reported directly to the CEO. I spent nine months in that organization. And I can tell you for free that because of the personality of that CEO, who was like this Herod, permanently angry, always. He comes into the office and everybody begins to shake. Everybody's like, oh, guys around, guys around. People are running out of the office like, I don't want him to see me. You know? In, you can imagine if I'm reporting directly to him, in nine months of my working in that organization, I probably had maybe just maybe four or five meetings with him. And I was reporting to him. Because it was not just tolerable to even sit down, have a dialogue, you know. That, and, that, and that's, I mean, we'll talk more about the impact of that. Anger. And I asked myself, why do people get so angry like that? Why do people get so angry, or you, you want to ask yourself, are you such a person that you are not approachable, you are not someone that can, people engage with regularly? Why are you angry? Why are you upset? Someone does a little thing to you and you blow up, and the person is like, you know, like Yoruba will say, kilagbe kileju. Okay, you people don't speak the, the official language of Nigeria, Yoruba. That's a joke. So <laughs> you yeah, laugh now. It's all right. <laughs> it, 
You understand? What, what have I done? What is the, I mean, I did this little thing, and you are blowing up this much. It's not you. It's the person that has to deal with his own emotions. And there are some dangers with being, being always angry. There are some dangers associated with carrying that persona of being angry. You know, at times when you get so angry and you're able to bully people around, you're able to, 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 to I mean, don't make everywhere shake, everywhere you go, shake. At times it gets into your head because what you begin to see now is that everybody's just bowing to you. So, God, what do you want? Don't you want? I don't want your trouble. I don't want your trouble. What do you want? You can be subsumed in that and assume that it is normal. There are dangers to living that kind of life. And we'll see a few of them. Number one, when you are such a person that's permanently always angry, you will end up realizing that you will be surrounded only by yes people. You will be, you will, all the people around you will only be the people that will, all they want to tell you is, Oga, yes. Oga, yes. This organization I was talking about, there was a particular guy there. I won't say his name, but for purpose of just discussion, let's assume his name is, uh, what's your name, sir? What's your name, sir? Lucky, good. So let's just assume that guy, that my, my uh, CEO that was always very upset, let's assume he had a PA, and the PA's name was Lucky. That PA worked with him for God knows how many years, and they never just, they, it was just a smooth relationship. So we used to ask him, oh God, how do you do it? How do you do it? How do you work with this guy that is never upset with you? He said, it's easy. Everything he wants, I just say yes. He asks for my opinion. I tell him what he said is correct. I don't have an opinion. I only tell him what he wants to hear. And that's a dangerous place to be. Because that's assuming that you are all perfect and all-knowing. When people around you can't even share an opinion with you again, they can't bring you ideas because they know that it's not going to work well with you. And you lose quality friends in the process. Because if you have good friends, good friends, one of the things that the good friends would do, if you have a good, genuine friend, one of the things that they should be doing is to be telling you the things about yourself that you don't see. They should be telling you the things about yourself that you don't know. They should be honest with you. Otherwise, they are not your friend. But when you, are, when you carry that persona of always being angry, you will lose those kind of friends. Proverbs 22, 24. Proverbs 22, 24. Proverbs 24 says, Don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people. So the truth is that even if you, if you carry that kind of persona of always being angry, if you still have friends, those your friends are going against scriptures. Because the Bible is telling them, if you see someone that is hot-headed, someone that is always angry, someone that is hot-tempered, don't be his friend. Walk away from such a person. It's the scriptures commanding it. So you end up being in isolation. You end up being in isolation. The only kind of people, again, that may be around you will be politicians. Will be politicians. You know, I can't preach nowadays without talking about politics. 
But this particular one that I wanted, I wanted to stay away from politics. But the scriptures brought it up. Because here it says, the delegates, we're just talking about delegates, right? The delegates won the support of Blastus, Herod's personal assistant. So let's assume Herod is that my CEO, and this Blastus is lucky. What it simply means is that anybody that wants to get access to the CEO, you have to go through Lucky. And since Lucky is a yes man, Lucky, is, if he's a yes man, definitely will just collect money to say yes. So here we have a situation where people will just come, pay Lucky to tell you what you want to hear. So you, you can easily end up being misguided. You can easily end up being misinformed. If your business, for example, is not doing well and your PA is supposed to tell you, but your PA knows that if he tells you that he's not, the business is not doing well, there's a problem, you will sack him. He will keep telling you the business is fantastic until it is fully gone. If the PA knows that, oh, someone is stealing in the organization, but if he tells you you are going to hold him responsible, what do you think he's going to do? He's going to keep it quiet. Because why? You built that persona around you and people are afraid. So you won't find people around you to be able to tell you the truth anymore. No friends. You become lonely. Second danger of always being angry, the second danger of always being angry, is that you end up being seen as a fool. No matter how wealthy, no matter how powerful you may be, you end up being seen as a fool. Ecclesiastes 7, Ecclesiastes 7, verse 9, it says, Control your temper, for anger labels you a fool. Control your temper, for anger labels you a fool. Proverbs 14, 29, Proverbs 14, 29, also says, People with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. So you're going around displaying your anger and using it as a bully, using it as a tool to bully people around. People are running away. People are hiding. People are saying they don't want their wallet, but inside them, what they are saying is this man is a fool. This woman is a fool. So it actually labels you as a fool. You may be getting away with whatever you want on a short term, but on the long run, it's going to hunt. It's going to hunt you. Get labeled as a fool. The third danger, the third danger of always being angry is that you end up being a tool in the hands of the enemy. You end up being a tool in the hands of the enemy. Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, 26 to 27. If you can come up on the screen faster than my phone, please go ahead. Ephesians 4, 26 to 27. It says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to what? To the devil. Anger gives a foothold to the devil. So when you are angry, it stops you to, from even doing critical thinking. It stops you from being able to see things, to be able to reason, reason out issues. Because you're angry. And scripture is saying that it gives a foothold to the devil. That matter that you think is upsetting you, that is making you so angry, so angry. You know, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's just so funny. It's just so funny. 
there was a particular, a, a couple of weeks ago, I was on a farm. And I had this guy, one of my best workers. Quiet guy. He's not a very friendly person. Just usually keeps to himself. Doesn't look for trouble, but keeps to himself. That particular day, I don't know what got over him. He was just angry. As I got to the farm, he was upset. He was complaining about this person, complaining about that person. I was trying to calm him down. Like, it's not very like him. You know, in the middle of all of that, he got into a fight with one of his colleagues. They started fighting, punched each other. His nose was bleeding. I tried to calm the two of them down. He was still angry, upset. In the middle of all of that rancor, just about the time he decided he wanted to calm down, he just realized that his phone was missing. As I speak to you, he has not found the phone. This, was, this is like two, three weeks now. Right there in the farm. And the phone was ringing. I'm sure it fell somewhere in the bush. And it's up till now. <laughs> They've not found it now. Of course, the phone is dead now. Maybe one of these days when tractor is working, <laughs> we'll finally find where he put it. But it's, it's the same thing. When we get angry like that, we just give a foothold to the devil. And when we're operating like that, only one person is smiling. It's the enemy. When you're so angry about everything, you're, you're, you're like, I can't control myself, I can't control myself. Only one person is smiling. It's the, it's the enemy. It's the enemy. The fourth danger of always being angry, the fourth danger of always being angry, is that you become completely insensitive to the Holy Spirit. Completely insensitive to the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 28 to 31. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work. And then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, Ash words and slander, as well as all types of behavior. Because if you don't, you will be grieving the Holy Spirit. If you don't, you will just become insensitive. You won't even know when the Holy Spirit is talking to you again. When the Spirit of God is saying, keep quiet, keep quiet. Or he's saying, no, this is the way, walk in it. You will not hear it again because why? I'm angry. I'm angry. I'm angry. I'm number five. The fifth danger of always being angry is that anger always leads to evil and ultimate, ultimately destruction. Anger always leads to evil and ultimately destruction. Psalm 37, Psalm 37, 8 and 9. Psalm 37, 8 and 9 it says, Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed. For those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. As we can see in the story that we read about Herod, all these things we can pick. Because what happened to him? Hungry. Decided to unleash terror on the people of Tyre and Sidon. So what did they do? They said, okay, this man is not going to listen to anything. Let's send politicians. They sent the delegates to go and speak to him. The delegate, of course, collected delegate dollars. 
and went to meet the person that would give them consensus. And they got access. <laughs> Just joking. Do you understand what I'm saying? They, they realized that such a person, they can't even send someone reasonable. So they had to send delegates, people that would just go there and do what? They'll go and tell him what he wants to hear. What did he want to hear? He stood in front of them. The Bible says he gave a speech. And he said, ah, Kai, see human being talking. This one is not even human being. This is the voice of God. This is the voice of God. And he too began to glory and say, yes. Yes. And now he collects. <laughs> That's how he collects. Exactly. He collects well. Praise God. So it ultimately leads to destruction. Verse 23 says, Instantly an angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness. Because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving the glory to God. So he was consumed with worms and died. Ah, that's a tough death, you know. When someone just, I mean, I, 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 I was reading up on um, Wikipedia about who this guy was. And they were describing on Wikipedia that historians have it that when, when he was coming out to meet those people, this, the Bible says that he came out in a royal robe. The historian said that that robe was not just only royal, that it was made of silver and silver thread. And the throne where he was standing was standing exposed to the sun. So that because everything he was now wearing was silver, when he begins to talk and he stands in the sun, the sun is reflecting and shining. So it is even possible that people will just be seeing light radiating and only hearing a voice. They will not be able to see him. That's the amount of glory that on his own he felt he could radiate. That's probably also why the people shouted and said, Ah, this is the voice of God, not the voice of human beings. And he collects. Praise God. So, when we read this story at times, you know one of the things, first things that came to my mind was that why did God immediately strike him and strike him out completely? Why didn't God even give him a second chance? Why didn't God like Nebuchadnezzar? Because what he did was very similar to what Nebuchadnezzar also did. Nebuchadnezzar also stood in front of the people and was hailing himself and said, look at this entire city that I built. With my own hand, I'm the man. Now we they run this town. I'm the man. And he stood on, the, on, on, on there and God looked at me and said, your time, he don't do. You too, collect. But his own collect was different. What happened? He began to eat grass. He ate grass as a king for seven years. You know that story, every time I read it, it just, it just keeps amaz uh, uh, I mean, surprising me. Because think about it. You have a king. Something happened to him. Not only was he eating grass. The Bible says that he started growing animal skin, like even like feathers was coming out of his body. People, the, the, the world could not even identify. Was he a disease? Is he madness? It, it, Something just came up on him. Only God could understand the affliction. 
And he did that for seven years. In that seven years, nobody dethroned him. Nobody took over his role. They waited for him. They didn't know when the time would be helpful, but they just waited. And when it was done, God said, oh yeah, it's time. Get back. And God restored him. God cleaned him up. And he became the king again. Because of the mercy of God. So question I'm asking is that, why, how come God give this one full collect and turned him to barbecue for worms? And it wasn't the case for Nebuchadnezzar. Or so many, some other people also in the Bible that did things that God didn't like. But the punishment was different. My answer is that maybe everybody has different cup. You know, when God says that your cup is not full, we'll do different things. But God is as if he gives everybody different cups. Some people have small cup. And if you do small error like this, choy, collect. But some people, you have a bucket. And God is just looking merciful and say, the cup never full. You know, it's like in a family at times, you know, if you look at people that have some two, three, four children, the firstborn is usually very disciplined and, you know, because he's the one that's alone, collecting, collecting, collecting. But lastborn, their cup is like this, like a drum. It just, it's almost like as if it never did fool. You know, maybe that, maybe, maybe that's how God operates. Maybe. But it appears like that. So, we move on. Verse 24. Verse 24. He says, in spite of all of this that was happening, meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread, and there were many new believers. The word of God continued to spread, and there were many new believers. Herod had just killed James. Herod had imprisoned Peter. Herod was terrorizing cities, Tyre and Sidon. Why? Because the gospel was spreading. And the gospel, in spite of all of this that he was doing, the gospel was still spreading. It just makes me to sing the song. Jesu yo joba araye yo. Heke dere fungbogbo araye. Jesu yo joba fungbogbo araye. Emura lati padere. Hallelujah. Another song says, Jesu yo joba, Jesu yo joba, Faraye fe, Baraye ko, Jesu yo joba. What that means is that Jesus will reign. Jesus will reign. Whether the world likes it, whether the world doesn't like it, Jesus will reign. That's what the song means. No matter what Herod was trying to do, he could not stop the gospel from spreading. Because the gospel is not a one man's agenda. Once it's like fire. Once one person catches it, we've had that teaching here. Once you catch it and you get saved, saved people don't what? Save. So it's, it just keeps multiplying. Pra, pra, pra. So when you think you have caught one person that was saved and you are trying to kill the person or subdue the person, the fire has moved to the next person. It just keeps going. 
That man called Voltaire spent 83 years wasting his life on this world trying to do what? To kill the Bible. At the end of the day, his house <laughs> is what was now used to distribute Bibles and tracts for the entire Europe. The house he built. <laughs> Whether we like it or not, the gospel is going to spread. The gospel is, no, is going to spread. You have an option to bow and align or stand in the way and be crushed. Saul was given that option. Saul went to the high priests, collected letters like authority. I've, I've said this over and over again on, the, on, on this altar. That what Boko Haram is doing today for Christians is child's play compared to what Paul Saul then, compared to what Saul was doing in his time. Boko Haram today, they go to places, they go to churches and try to bomb the place. They try to make Christians afraid, intimidate them. So what do they do? They come out of hiding, launch an attack, then run away because they don't want people to see them. When they come out on their videos, they are covering their faces, they are hiding. That's child's play compared to what Paul was, Saul was doing. How? Saul had a letter of approval to go after Christians and either kill them or put them in jail. So if you want to call him, you call him Boko Haram Square or whatever. He had the letter of approval. But when Jesus introduced himself to him, he had a choice to go against Jesus and probably be eaten by worms like Herod or to align. And he, which he did. And he aligned and his name became Paul. And the rest is history. Hallelujah. We move to verse 13, chapter 13, 1 and 3. It says, among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria, where Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manahin, the childhood companion of King Herod, Antipas, and Saul, one day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So, after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. What, what are the few things that I pick from this passage? What are the few things that I pick from this passage? First thing is, the, is that God is seeing what you are doing, whatever it is you are doing. God is seeing it, and he is going to reward you with even more work. So whatever it is you think you are doing right now, God is seeing it for his kingdom. So look at all these people. The Bible says that among the prophets and the teachers, and the scriptures listed them out one by one. One of the interesting things about it also is the fact that these were people coming from different backgrounds. It says... Antioch of Syria. Sorry, it says, uh, among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, all right? Then Simeon called the black man. Who calls someone a black man if the person is not a black man? So, confirmation this Simeon was a black man, all right? Lucius from another region, Serene. Manaen. The childhood companion of King Herod Antipas. Now, you know, we've been talking about King Herod Agrippa. 
This King Herod Agrippa, according to historians, is the brother-in-law to King Herod Antipas. So if you look at it in a way, they would probably have had the royal background. So these are people of influence, people of power. You know, being a brother-in-law, it probably is even in the line of the throne to which they were. But these were the people that had now become Christians and were teachers. You know, probably King Herod and Tippas, who was hanging out with this Manahin, is probably part of the reason that Herod Agrippa was even upset. Saying, see, even my family people mingling with these people of the way, these people that call themselves Christians. But the summary of it is that Amongst the early people that were used in the church at that time to spread the gospel was people from all sorts of backgrounds and all sorts of race. So if you look at the church today, that's how we should also be represented. We shouldn't see, we shouldn't see ourselves as, oh, um, I am I, I, not a big boy, so there are some things I can't do. Or I'm too little, there are some things I can't do in church, there are some ways I cannot be represented. No, there's a role for everybody. And God sees what everybody is doing individually. Now, these people did what they were doing so well that while they were praying, the Holy Spirit came upon them and said, okay, I can see at the level where you are operating right now. I even want to give some people some extra work. And he called them out by name and, sent and, and, and gave them the special work to do. So they were empowered with more fasting and more prayer, laid their hands on them and sent them all, all out on the way. So which is also critical that whenever we know, whenever we see that God is sending us out or God wants us to do something, we should never ignore the power of, first of all, praying and fasting about it. Share also maybe the vision or what you have with your spiritual leader and let them pray with you and send you forth. Don't do things on your own. Don't do things in your power. Here was Saul. Here was Barnabas. All these people mentioned there, none of them wrote anything in the Bible. Not on them, none of them wrote any books in the Bible apart from Saul. <coughs> Sorry. Meaning that the, ex, the, the, the special work that they now had to do was what pushed them into their destiny. That they now became people that could write books in the Bible that we, today we could be reading. Praise the Lord. So it was critical for them to have submitted themselves to the rest of the body, for the rest of the body to pray with them, to pray for them, to lay hands on them, and now release them into what God wants them to do. Praise the Lord. Okay. I think that's where I'm ending the teaching for today. Praise the Lord. So, um, while pastor comes on board, if you have questions, sorry, I should have said this earlier on. If you have any questions, so feel free to just, uh, uh, I mean, indicate to by raising up your hand to the ushers and they'll bring the microphone to you. But while we're, while we're thinking about it, it's important that we also think about our service to God. Think about 
Thank you very much. Think about our service to God. Where are we right now? Are we, are we being fully utilized? Are we, being of, are we releasing ourselves to, for God to fully use us? I, I, I will leave us with that thought. Welcome, sir. Good, good evening, sir. Good evening. Well done. Amazing. Amazing teaching. God bless you. God bless you too, sir. So to, to, to kick off, to kick off, I have a question for you. I said earlier on in the course of the teaching that um, King Herod uh, took glory, all right, and God struck him down and worms devoured him right there. Nebuchadnezzar took glory and he just, his own collect was uh, seven years of chopping grass. I don't know. And I said maybe the reason is because everybody has different cup sizes. All right? And um, I'm thinking, if, in, if indeed everybody has cup sizes, I'm saying to myself, does that mean God is partial? And if it is, why? Oh, well, I, I, I think that um, uh, we can look at what is before us and the things that are, that are written in scriptures and, and make our deductions from that. And like you said, um, Herod had, you know, was the guy that took beheaded James. Yeah. Um, you know, the church looked weak, and he looked powerful. Mm. And so, uh, the, the 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 gospel is inferior, and Jesus is inferior to him. And God appeared to do nothing. You know, sometimes when wicked people prosper, mm. you know, we, we don't understand that, you know, their cup is filling up, you know, and it's filling up real quickly, you know, that by the time it's full, there's no, there's, there's no intercession, there's nothing that can be done to save them. So, he must have, I mean, flouted his authority. Because of that, he took Peter, and Peter had to escape. Mm. By divine, and he must have, you know, rubbed crap on the gospel, you know. So on and on and on and on, you know. By the time those were the ones that were recorded, though, mm -hmm. because because they were top leaders, you know. Um, they probably others that he had, you know, trampled upon. Yeah. By the time. That singular um, um, action was the tipping point of mm. the judgment. Mm. So by the time that happened, you know, there was nothing that can be done. Same thing, like, same thing with Pharaoh, the, the Pharaoh, the king, the king of Egypt in the time of, of, of Moses. You know, the cup of, their cup was full, you know, and because their cup was full, you know, so... We can look at the sequence of events that led to it, that's recorded. Mm. Um, the sizes of the cup, I mean, we can't say one is bigger than the other. <laughs> because <laughs> even, even if they are the same sizes, the atrocities are weak, are, are weak you know? Yeah. The things that, are, that, that were done by error is, is huge, you know? Um... um well, was the Nebuchadnezzar, mm -hmm. you know, what he did was also weighty, but you 
could say that that was equivalent to only the, uh, the last action of Herod, mm. you know? And Nebuchadnezzar didn't have all those antecedents and all those previous piling up. P piling up, you know? yeah. You know, yeah, so, there's a proverb in Yoruba that says, uh, <laughs> meaning that the, the person that we want to roast is now using petrol to rob body. So he's, he's, uh, he's asking for it. And it's long coming. He's using petrol as moisturizer. Uh, and, uh, you know, <laughs> Fine, you know, self-love, you know. Yeah, thank you very much, sir. All right, do we have any questions in the house and online? Okay, so there are a few questions. Is that online, right? All right, a few questions online, sir. Good evening, sir. Good evening, Papi. Good evening, everyone. We have three questions online so far. The first question says, was Herod's death a way of God judging him for the death of James. Okay, can I, can I take a jab on that quickly? Okay, based on what Pastor said now, it, it's not just the, um, it, it is not just judgment because of the um, atrocities against James alone. It's obviously an accumulation. It's been piling up. You know, it, it, it's like, probably God has been like, okay, I'm the one that created I'm the one that created this boy too, you know, but you did this one, be careful. You did the next one, be careful. You did the third one, be careful. And the boy is still not listening. He's just going on and on and on. Then he now just climaxed at the point of trying to say, trying to challenge what Satan did that God could not take. He is now, he's not even as powerful as Satan. Just a normal, common, chinkini ants. You're not trying to, what's the word now, booger? You understand? God just, come on there. Let me, it's not even, God could have just struck him down and he would die, they'll go and bury him. But God wanted to, people to know that I am the one doing this. And another thing, as I, I didn't talk about this earlier on, another thing that struck me was that, there was no record of the people saying, eh, what happened here? So people were actually waiting for him to actually die. Because, I mean, you, you would hear that, oh, people, there was uh, fear in the land. Or oh, people now humbled. And the, people were probably just, like we learned, he had surrounded his people, himself with people that only want to tell him what he wants to hear. So they had seen also that all he wanted was someone to hail him. You remember he had cut off food supplies to their place, to their cities. They had come now, more like sending delegates to come and lobby and beg. And they know that, okay, Shebi is this man. To beg him means that we have to hail him. All of you, clear your throats. Shout well when he talks, even if he's talking nonsense. Shout well. So it was more like the people that he was raising around himself that even sent him to, <laughs> to his grave early. Or to, to send him to the... He wasn't even privileged to go to the grave. Sent him to the worms early. 
Praise God. So it's not just the judgment for James, my own opinion, my, my views. It's not just, it wasn't being judged for what he did against James alone. It's an accumulation of what he has been doing over time. Pastor, you want to add to that? Yeah, so, I mean, in addition, I mean, um, God resists the proud, you know. God resists the proud. God gives grace to the, to the humble, and he resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble, and he resists the proud. Thank you. Yes. Okay, sir. Question two. Please, can you explain more on Ephesians 4.26? That says, be angry, but sin not. How can we relate it with the people we work with? Okay, Ephesians 4.26, right? Let me read it so we're all on the same page. It says, Ephesians 4.26 says, And don't sin by letting anger control you. So it is okay for you to get angry when you see something you don't like. Because anger, in a way, is also a natural emotion. But when you now let it to control you to the point where you lose control, to the, to the point where when you step back and ask yourself, that thing that I did, would I have done it again? That's when the anger has controlled you. And that's what God is saying, that you, you should not get to that point. The, the example usually that people pick when they're talking about anger is that Jesus himself, even in the Bible, at a point was angry when he went into the temple and, and, and they saw people trading. Let's use this as a, as a testing parameter. If Jesus at that point had gone into the temple a hundred times and seen them trading a hundred times, wouldn't he have done the same thing a hundred times? He probably would because it is not the right thing to do. What they were doing, he would have done it over and over. But each time he was doing it, it was when he did what he did, which was to drive them out and scatter whatever he did. I'm not sure he lived in regret and said, oh, why did I get upset? If you get angry and when you, are, you have calmed down and you think back over what you have done and you can feel regret, that means that that sin, that anger had actually controlled you. You are not in control. That's how to check it. Sir? Yeah, correct. I mean, um, it, it, I probably will just add that um, anger is an emotion. Sin is an action. Anger is an emotion. Sin is an action. The fact that you feel an emotion doesn't mean you need to carry out an action. Anger is like temptation. You are being tempted. Temptation is not sin. So um, you, are, you, are, you, are, you are angry, like you said. It's, an, it's a natural emotion. So what do you do? What you do with your anger will determine whether you ask you will sin or not. You know, and that's like the Bible says, don't sin. You have, you, have, you have the right not to sin. Yeah. That's what I would say. So anger is an emotion. Sin is an action. That's the point where you say, Ayah. Hallelujah. <laughs> All right, third one. Okay, question three. If people have different cup sizes, 
Where does God's endless mercies come in? Okay, Pastor, you want to shoot at that? I know you touched you touched this briefly earlier on. Yeah, and I'm going to touch it a lot on Sunday. Yeah. Oh, wow. So I've already given Expo into Sunday. <laughs> so, um, God's, um, when you talk about mercy, God's mercy is, is boundless, you know? God's love is also boundless. Now, God's response to, to Herod, for instance, could be in defense of his people. And that is a demonstration of God's love, because love defends. So if, if, if you are with your, um, with your girl, let's say you're you a man, or you're with your man, let's say you're a girl, or your husband or wife, and and a dog comes and attacks your, your babe, your wife, and you see the dog and you run away, <laughs> and you leave her there <laughs> because you are faster than her, or you see the dog, you jump in front of her, you kill the dog. So the dog, the, the dog receives mercy from you, you know. You, could you be accused of being merciless? You were actually acting in love, and sometimes love defends. Mm. Many love protects, and that protection will mean judgment on mm. um, things, you know. And in the case of Herod, you know, I mean, it wasn't on God's side at all. You know, it was on the dog's side. It was on the other side. Mm. You know, and cannot you cannot. Be just like Satan. Satan cannot be accusing God of not being merciful. You know, he, he walked away from, from it himself, you know, and now all is left for him is, is rot and judgment. Mm. You know, so I, that's what I would say um, to that. Thank you, sir. Awesome. One more question? Okay, there's one more yes. question, sir. Okay, question four says, how do you help people you do life with that are gradually losing genuine friendships because of anger and controlling behavior? Six over six. Counseling. If you can get such people to come, I mean, like, we, like um, we've learned now, anger is a genuine emotion. It's a genuine emotion. It's not necessarily like an evil spirit that comes upon us, like, you know, what at times can be presented. No, it's an emotion. So if it is an emotion, it's something that can be controlled. If it's something, something that can be controlled, then it means that you can learn how to control it if you don't know how to control it. So counseling is one of the ways you can come in to learn how to control it. If you're some, someone that you find yourself struggling with controlling that emotion, let's talk. Come around. Come to church office. Book an appointment. There are counselors that will be able to help such a person. So that's what I, I, I would say to that. Yeah. Six over six. Yeah. Correct. Yes, sir. Pastor Richard. 
Good evening, Pastor K. Good evening, Pa. Um, I just was thinking about the cup size and the way the human mind works. You know, um, the scripture says there's therefore no condemnation. So some people naturally have um, their thinking process is the process of condemnation. When they thinking what? process, the process, they process okay. is the process of condemnation. So how do we marry this cup size with um, Romans 2? where it says God doesn't show favoritism. I was hoping you would talk more on it, sir. And maybe we should just look at um, David and Saul, for example. Um, from the surface, you can say David had a bigger cup size than Saul, right? But I think there were other factors at play there. The heart of David. I mean, maybe something you want to talk about that made it look as if David had a bigger cup size than Saul. So that tomorrow when I have a challenge, I'm not saying, God, is my cup very small? Is it full? Am I going to collect any moment? No, stop like that. So, thank you, sir. I just thought to say that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, valid point. And um, my response to that is that even though I'm using the analogy of cup size, there are so many factors that determine, in quotes, that cup size. One is what probably you can control, which is how God, you've been sinning, in quotes, or God's been talking to you about a particular thing. How is your heart? concerning that matter? How is your heart concerning your work with God? Because the difference, using that as a parameter, between Saul and David, was that every time Saul sins, Saul never usually acknowledges sin. He will say, it's these people that cause it. It's these people around me. It's not my fault. It's these people. He doesn't acknowledge. But guess what? David misbehaves. He's confronted what does he do? He bows down. Ha! I don't goof. Forgive me. Be merciful. His heart. Even if what he did was more grievous than what Saul did. But he's owning up. He's owning up. You know, like people will say, don't live this life and let one witch kill you. Because when you are gone and go gone, that witch can get saved and will make heaven. All right? So it's, it's, it's the same way. Your heart condition, if, if it is stiff enough so that you, are, you, you don't care about what God is saying, you don't care about what God is, just what you want to do alone, that's more make, that's making, even if you have a big cup, to fill up very fast. Let's assume the cup is measured in liters. All right? So if you could have a small cup of 10 liters... But because your heart is very good, it never goes beyond two liters before the mercy of God empties it. Two liters, the mercy of God empties it. Then you could have another person that maybe because, this is the second point now, maybe he has had a grandmother or a great-grandfather that has been a missionary and has built 100 churches all over the world. And because of that, God has given his great-grandson, which is that person now, a cup that is 
1,000 liters. But because he, anywhere he goes, he says, don't you know who I am? My father is the one that built that church that your great-grandfather used to attend in your village. And he's bragging all over town and not doing anything to build on what his grandfather is doing. Before he knows it, even though he has a big cup of 1,000 liters, it has filled up very quickly. So one more singular act like this, he just collects. It may now look like it is only that singular act that caused the action, but actually there's been an accumulation. He's actually had a long rope, but the rope, no matter how long it is, eventually to get to an end. I don't know if that helps. Pastor, you want to have to that, sir? Um, yeah, I mean, that's, 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 that's good. I mean, that, I mean, that could add to be, you know, um, just to budget all that you have said, it is, um, it is the, the, the heart of repentance that empty our cup. So, you know, um, um, it says your sins and your iniquities I will remember no more. So, you get the example of the David. David falls on his face. He has a clean slate, you know. Paul, Saul, sorry, on the other hand, is, is blaming people. Check yourself. If, if you are always finding something to blame, you never want to take responsibility. Oh, it's because, oh, you said, people even blame God. Look at Adam. Mm. It is the one you gave me. Mm-hmm. You just, it's your fault. You said, you know, I, I just, I'm just trying to speak to people and they, they quote you. They say, this is what you said. This is what they, they justify what they are doing. Mm. <laughs> up, it's getting filled up. Mm. It's getting filled up. It's getting filled up. But contrast that with this heart. He, he repents. He keeps a short account. And that's why it's as, it's as though David was God's favorite, because God says, he's a man after my heart. So it's not out of partiality, more of out of relationship. Mm. You know? Mm. It's, it's not, like, not an issue of partiality, it's an issue of relationship. Your relationship with God will, will determine how empty your cup, the relationship at which it gets emptied. You know, because God can even point things out to you that, oh boy, you goofed here, you're like, ah, I'm sorry. You know? Some people, God, God says, Goofy as a way. When did I go? I didn't go for anything. It's Pastor K's fault. Or they'll say, God didn't see well. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Amazing. The people of covenant, the people of, of, of Israel, in Hebrews 4, God says that. This ten times you have provoked me this ten times. And I pause, I said, so God, God is keeping records. God is counting. They did the first thing. The first time God says one. The, the second one, God says two. Then the third one, God says three. Then, but then they did the tenth time, and God dealt with them. God said, This ten times you have provoked me. This was God's people. This was God's covenant people, but they did not build and, rel- and, and relate with God as, as, as they ought to, you know, and um, um, so it's, it's not so much as a focusing on favoritism, you know, 
than it is relationship. So that's what I would say. Fantastic. Thank you, sir. One more. We have two more questions. Two more questions came up. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay, question. The first of Sorry, the before you, they are online questions, right? Yes, sir. Okay, any other question in the auditorium so that we can just, okay, there's one at the back. Two, okay. So we have four questions, then we close out. All right. Okay, thank you, sir. It's, um, it says, why did the apostles fast and pray some more, even after hearing the Holy Spirit clearly concerning Paul and Barnabas? I would say is wanting to hear and say, okay, this is the way to go, walk in it. It's another thing to say, okay, now I know where I'm going. I want power to go. I want God to go ahead of me. I want, okay, this is where I'm going. When I get there, who am I going to meet? What am I going to do? Because if you live a life of prayer and a life of uh, um, trust in God, then you will know that. There's need to keep praying every step of the way. I would say that's why they continued. Pastor? Yes, of course. You know, so the fact that you know God is giving you a direction is actually the reason you should pray, you know, and, you know, and get anointed for what he wants you to do. So that's correct. Next question, please. Okay, sir. Since the Holy Spirit said, appoint them from the book of Acts, how did the apostles know to send Paul and Barnabas on their way and where? The instruction was a simple statement, but they took two other steps. How did they know that was the next thing to do? What if Paul and Barnabas needed to do more pastoral training before setting out? Okay, so... I think the answer to all of that resides in your relationship with God. So, um, it's like, uh, I'll explain this now. I tell my son, um, wash the car, for example. Wash the car means wash the car. I don't have to tell him, use water, use soap. He knows he knows by revelation, by the fact that we've done it together, by the fact that we have a relationship, he understands. When I, there are times I say, wash the car, he knows, okay, I don't need to use soap. He just rinse it out. And there are times, wash the car means wash everything, outside, inside. All of that comes as a result of relationship and understanding what needs to be done. So, I would say when you have that relationship, when you hear instructions, you're, you, 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 you may hear a word, but you will hear more than that word eventually. I, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but uh, you get it? Correct. You get it. Great. Praise the Lord. <laughs> yes. Next one, sir. Yes, next one, Debbie. Next. Okay. You, let's... Are you ready with the mic there? Okay. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening. So, so I was just thinking, can we relate the case of um, Herod and Nebuchadnezzar, um, the case to this particular scripture in the Bible where we say there are some sins that lead to death and there are some sins that do not lead to death? I wouldn't say 
so. I wouldn't say that because um, in that instance, the the that's scripture where it says there are some sins that lead to death. They are talking about it's making reference to like uh, the kind of sin that you know it's talking about the sin against the Holy Spirit. Hmm? That's the one that says that leads to death, if I, if I get that right. And those ones are one that God has said, oh, this one classified. If you go this route, no repentance. It's final damnation. And um, I wouldn't even say that that rule applies to everybody. It applies to people that have gotten to a particular level in their walk with God. And they now deliberately or on their own decide to backslide. backslide. So when they now err, it's according to the scriptures, it's like taking Jesus to the cross again and kneeling him the second time. And that's not permissible. So use this case, two scenarios, Nebuchadnezzar and um, what's his name now? Herod. It wouldn't, apply, it wouldn't fit into that. It's a different scenario. You want to add to that, sir? Uh, no. Okay, good. Thank you, sir. Yes, one more question there, and we're good to go. It's good. Hallelujah. Please, I would like to know, sir, um, talking about cups and cup filling, although I cups have actually... Cups and cup filling up and stuff. Oh, cups. That yeah. we discussed um, because I'm actually learning a whole lot. Because I used to actually believe that there are some people that will get away with some things for the rest of their lives. So please, I would like to know: like, is it really possible for people to get? Because you gave a scenario earlier on about somebody that maybe his father built a church or his ancestors they built the church and. Because I used to believe that there are some people that no matter how much they sin, um, maybe if their ancestors have actually done something in the past, there is mercy and grace that will just speak for them uh-huh. for the rest of their life, no matter how they screw up. Uh-huh. So please, I would like you to actually expand on that. Because according to our teaching this night, if there is something I actually picked like, it is possible for you to, you keep screwing up, screwing up, and one day you collect. <laughs> so I want to know, because my grandfather, for instance, let me use my own family as a case study. The man was not really a good guy. And he did a whole lot of things, like unspeakable things. And he got away with it. Like, let me just say in a way, although it was when he was dying, at the end of the day, just called my dad and he tried to fix some of it. But got away with it. Nothing happened to him like that. It was not as if anything happened like that. And he lived very, very old. So I want to know, like, is there, is there a time, is it possible for grace and mercy to actually work for somebody that is screwing up and all of this? And even just like, okay, let's just leave this person Okay, so to answer your questions, I would say that a lot of things we say is because of the amount of information that we have, all right? So Jesus is on the cross. There are two thieves on the side, right? The Bible makes it very clear. They were both thieves, right? If not that it is written today, 
the things that, you know, one of them says, if you are God, bring us down. The other one says, remember me in your paradise. Be merciful. And God says, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. I'm not sure Jesus was shouting that instruction. It's very few people that were around that probably heard. If we don't have the Bible today, a lot of people in that boy's family will probably have gone home that day and said, this guy has definitely gone to hell because he lived a bad life and died as a what? A thief. But he got saved. Last minute. That's what they call escape from Alcatraz. Last minute. Nabal in the Bible. Bible describes him as a rich fool. His, his wife called him, told David, don't waste your time with that guy. He's a fool, just like his name is, Nabal. But in spite of the fact that he was a fool, he was wealthy. So he, in no quotes, had money, had big bands, and when he was dying, the Bible says he just slept and didn't wake up. That's how God decided to let him go. You and I, if you don't know why God took him away, you will say he lived a good life, he didn't suffer, he didn't do anything, and just died. He got away with it. God sees a bigger picture. Now, why was Nabal a fool and wealthy? I don't know. It could be as a result of, like I said, what his forefathers had done. He's the one reaping the fruits. Unfortunately, he's not sowing what his own children and his grandchildren will reap. Unfortunately. So, I would say, even your grandfather that you are talking about, you don't know his final last second or his final last minutes. What you know is just what you know. And that's, unfortunately, is the best you can know. That's how it works with God. So I wouldn't, for me, um, I won't rack my head too much about it. There are people that live a good life. What's the name of that man that died, the poor man, and was at Abraham's feet? Lazarus. Good life made heaven, but he died poor, suffering with, with wounds at the gate of a rich man begging for food, but he made heaven. Meanwhile, the reverse, the rich man with a good life didn't make. So would you say Lazarus didn't get away with it? So really, it's all about God just watching and say, this, you, let's just do it like this. Focus on your own cup and make sure your cup never gets full. Just focus, that's it. Focus, stay your lane. That's the cocoa. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I think that's a good place to end today's session. So let's put our hands together for the Lord. And uh, Pastor, over to you, sir. So the Lord bless you and keep you. Amen. This child of you and be gracious unto you. Amen. Countless upon you and give you peace. Amen. As so it is, I shall be. Amen. In the name we have prayed. Amen. 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 The gospel of the house. Who are we? We are limitless all the way.
Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless you. Take